This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Bike Radar Meets podcast series. This is where we, as you might imagine, meet interesting and influential people from the bicycle industry. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. I'm Jack Luke, the assistant editor on Bike Radar, and I'm joined by Joe Norledge and Paul Jones. Paul Jones, an author and a man of great cycling provenance, is going to talk us through his past two books about hill climbing and the time-trialing legend Alf Engers, and a little bit about his new book about the Land's End to John O'Groats record. So Paul, you're a man of great cycling provenance yourself, as I mentioned, and your first two books were again about hill climbing and Alf Engers. So do you want to talk us through a little bit about your cycling past and those two books? Yeah, uh, I think that's slightly over-egging that pudding <laughs> when you talk about great cycling provenance. Well, a, you fan, know, a fan, like, a fan, a keen but, racer. You know, a keen racer, yeah. You like, won a hill climb, didn't you? I've won a few, yeah. One, yeah, one, one Burrington. Obviously not this weekend when it just happened, when I came 78. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I've deleted that from my inbox. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I used to race and um, started off doing hill climbs and then got into time trials, a bit of road racing. Um, yeah, just... You know, it's a really good thing. Sort of did that for about six or seven years, I guess. Quite late to it, but um, so I always felt like I was chasing um, against time itself anyway. Um, yeah, and then at the same time, just just used to write, really, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know. And the Hill Climb book, did that kind of come out of your time with racing? And the book's more about, like, the scene and the the nationals more than perhaps the racing itself. So do you want to tell us a bit about that book, The Corinthian Endeavour? Yeah, yeah, it's got the, it's, yeah, the title's really wordy. Um, and, um, like, that's a very, yeah. So what happened was I was doing hill climbs, and I, I um, was doing hill climbs in 2010. 
to about 2015, so it was a five-year period. But the first race I did was a hill climb, and I was at Burrington. And I was, I was immediately kind of taken with it. I was taken with this weird branch of the sport, this like weird discipline. And I, I guess, you know, I think there's something when you look at like your hill climb diaries as well, there's a weird feeling that goes with this kind of racing that doesn't really go with anything else. And, it, and I don't know if it's the absence of, or the fact that it, they like time trials, but they're the weirdest time trials you've ever done because everyone is fighting their own sort of struggle and fighting against themselves. And um, so I, I, I got really captivated by it. I think the first that first year I did, I was racing and I was doing pretty well. So I remember doing um, double hill climbs and the people that were racing at the time. Um, so it's this Tejran Pettinger who's this like emaciated um, <laughs> sort of, um, you know, really, he looks unwell. Um, He's like it, 61 kilos, isn't he? Yeah. Six foot three. Yeah, that's it. And <laughs> I think, it, yeah, that's that's basically it. And so he looks um, like he's some sort of advert for, um, you know, something. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> something not good, maybe. I don't know. But he's a super chap and, um, you know, he was incredible to watch him, especially on the long stuff. It was also, you had this guy, Mike Cumming, who rode for Rally at the time, Dave Handley riding for Rally, those two. Um, it was the back end of Dan Fleeman as well. So he, 2010 was his last race and he just just come over from Cervelo test team. And, and I was sort of riding in these... Um, Heady days. Yeah, yeah, for, I think for me. And, and it's always quite telling as well because nowadays people always, you know, when you get older, you notice people always say, oh, like, oh, it's, you know, it's much quicker than it used to be, isn't it? And you're like, well, it's not really. It's just more people riding, which is great. You know, there's more strength in depth. You know, and um, yeah, so and then I so I started writing about it because I just felt that, and I, you know, did what most people do, which is do a blog, which is basically, you know, you're just shouting to yourself in a room, like making jokes that you understand and no one else, and like your mum reads it if you're lucky. So I was doing that, and um, but I got really into that, and I got really into the fact that when you write about hill climbs, you can use really, really baroque language. <laughs> you can talk about like pain, degradation like struggle, uh, they're all, you know, it's all becomes just this metaphor for, um, you know, unpleasantness and, and, and joy at the same time. So, so I got really into that, did that. And then I just had this weird idea that's, that, there, that there was a book to be written about hill climbs, you know, for uh, probably for about eight people to read. But that was the idea. So well, you've um, got two big fans in this room. Both yes. Joe and I have read it. Yes, yeah. enjoyed it a lot. And it tracks the kind of history of the National Hill Climb Championships, doesn't it, from early on? 1920s maybe a bit late so uh, it goes pre pre so the championship started in 44 i think um and but it, there was a pre-war it was still a it was a big event pre-war catford as you know is like mm -hmm. the, the longest continuous running bike race in the world and they're very good at telling everyone that mm -hmm. um but yeah so i sort of went pre-war as much as i could to give that context you know where people in penny farthings were like riding up hills and doing stupid things like that and then I started really with the, the championship itself, which was 1944. Um, and then you go through and you have these, in those early days, people like Bob Maitland, who rode the Tour de France. Um, Brian Robinson won it in 53, I think. You know, it was a real sort of springboard. And, a sort of, and so it sort of charts all the way through. And you get, you know, for everyone, every Brian Robinson or, or Chris Boardman, who won it like four times, or, or Daryl Webster, you know, these, uh, Malcolm Elliott, you know, winning it. Um, for every one of those, there's just someone like Granville Sydney, who like won it six times, but no one's heard of and just used to turn up with hairy legs and then went back to work in, in Huddersfield on the Monday, you know, that, and but just had this really profound ability to do something quite scary, like when riding uphill. So, yeah, so it sort of tracks that through. And, um, 
yeah, and it, I think it went down quite well, you know, and, um, you know, it, it sold out its run of about eight copies. <laughs> so we reprinted <laughs> and then we did, you know. So I think it sort of ticks along now. And um, yeah. You've updated it since the original version. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like I have done. I updated it um, to, it must go up to about, I think Dan Evans' second win. Mm-hmm. So um, wherever that was. 2017? Yeah, I think so. It would have been... Maybe Joss Loudon, yeah. who's riding again this year because it's on this weekend coming, isn't it, in October? Um, and that's great to see Joss Loudon because she she was at the Worlds, wasn't mm-hmm. she, doing the mixed time trial? And then I think Haley Simmons is riding. So you it, it draws these people out in this weird sort of end of season like party of pain and misery. <laughs> like, but it's a kind of good get together. It is. It's a good yeah. thing to. The book really celebrates that. And you know, I was a real newcomer to it. You're an old hat as well, Joe. And I think through diaries, we've shown a bit of that. We've shown the kind of bit of the weird atmosphere that goes with it and the weird obsession but if you really want to take a deep dive into it the book is an amazing read yeah yeah definitely from the tech as well you talk about the bikes and that it used to be fixed gear that's a really interesting thing that historically when bikes were heavier riders rose fixed gear choice is really important and now you know the the people that are winning now are on bikes that are better than what you ride at the tour de france sub five kilo bikes and stuff like that I mean, that's just bonkers, isn't it? And I think that that resurgence is really fascinating, not just in the tech, but like in numbers as well. So, you know, we, we did a race on Sunday and it had sort of pretty much a full field. You're getting 120 riders to ride a hill climb. And, and, and when I think when I was doing it in 2010, it'd be really unusual for that to happen. You know, the less fashionable ones, you'd be lucky to get 20 or 30. So something's happened. And I think, you know, and a lot of people riding fixed as well. Like they're really fascinated by it. And certainly some people have read the bits about fixed in that book and they've gone away and overly romanticized it <laughs> and they've gone like oh, I'm gonna, yeah i'm gonna make a really weird fixed gear bike and i'm gonna it's gonna be great and um and then like they've really really had a hard time mm. you know and really struggled with it there is nothing more unpleasant than pushing a gear at 40 rpm when you're <laughs> the worst place yeah. possible. I think we've all experienced that. You can feel like the, the like a hernia, can't you? You can almost feel your muscle pop out, or like you can feel like something flexing inside you that's not supposed to flex. Like at that wrong moment, like on the rake, that's a twenty five percent. Is it like last yeah. two hundred meters? And I remember doing that, and I was like, something's coming out of my eye. <laughs> like it's not, it's, it's not your right. Eye. Yeah, it's actually my eye. It's like throbbing. You know, like in casino, like where yeah. they, it's a bit like that. You feel like your head's in a vice, and you don't really know. And someone's shouting at you, like, "Yeah, go on." You're like, "I don't know what I'm doing." But you know. we love it all the same. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, it's an incredible feeling riding a hill climb riding the national championships when you know amateurs like us get to ride up for a big crowd is is amazing isn't it it's the closest you can get isn't it to that wall that like that mm. dutch corner that um you know the the tourmalet or something like that it's you can't see anything else other than people and they're all absolutely rabidly cheering mm. rabidly cheering because they've they've seen that on a telly as well and they've seen and it's there I think for some spectators you know like someone who lives in Ramsbottom or something like they're like oh it's just like the tour you know and they're there trying you know so that's a good thing and you got a little taste of it again for this week uh, this weekend past didn't you you rode your first one in a little while yeah yeah (laughs) yeah rode yeah like I just yeah and it was just hard yeah like yeah it was really hard it was really slow but and, yeah. it's the taking part of the camp. It is, it is. And I think I like to think I've set down a marker now mm-hmm. so that if I go back next year, at least I can maybe beat that. Mm-hmm. You know, it was incredibly slow. 
So the the first book was definitely kind of characterized by characters and the nationals. And your second yeah. book on Alf Engers was very much in the same spirit, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was. It's like a narrower focus. It's almost like if you take one of the chapters mm-hmm. from um, Corinthian Endeavour, and I think maybe like the one on Daryl Webster, you know, where you've got a character, like a person who rode professionally in Spain for Tekka, and then, but but also was just a like a a bag of contradictions in many ways, like a really complicated person. And, and that, to me, that's really what I want to write about. Like I want to write about people who are, um, you know, a bit wobbly, really, and, and, and have, you know, moments of euphoria, and then, but also struggle in other ways. And so it's all, I think the Alf Engers book wasn't my intention. My intention was actually to write a book that looked at those characters um, it was the book I was sort of planning at the time was the sort of book about rebellious British cyclists. Mm-hmm. So I was sort of really interested in Mike Bell, who was like the national road race champion, you know, and had a real struggle, I think, for many years. And, um, you know, those sort of figures that we sort of forgotten about, um, but I think are important and, and make for a really good book. Mm-hmm. And I sort of pitched that and then, but there was a bit of humming and hawing. And then out of the woodwork came the Alf Engers thing, that, which is... You know, literally out of the woodwork, Alf Engers rang me up and and this, you know, that's how the book came about. For, for those that don't know who Alf Engers is, do you want to give a bit of a, a background and a legend that is Alf Engers? Uh, yeah, he, um, so I think, I think when I started time trialling, I don't think I, I necessarily knew who he was. But I think, but because he, his gener- he was riding from 1959 to 1978. So he was before my time. But at the same time, what he did in that period of time somehow um, had, a, had like caused a lot of ripples across the sport and the wider consciousness of people. And it didn't take me long to come across people who would start dropping his name into conversation. And there was this idea at the time where someone would do a super quick time, you know, I think. Um, so like anyone. So I think Alex Dowsett, he did um, like 1720 or something for 10 miles, which was a, a massive smashing of the record, you know. And But it doesn't, suddenly someone's saying, well, what would Alf do? And it, there was this sort of mythical question that keeps hanging around, or what would Alf do? Because he was this rider um, in the 50s, 60s and 70s who, who redefined how fast you could ride. Um, but he did it through... Um, I think two ways, really. One of which is like a, a remorseless focus on technology, and he's really ahead of his time in how he wanted to, how like how he how he could go quicker on a bike. So um, you don't see any changes in bike design, do you? Really, from sort of nineteen, well, from the diamond frame until aero. But it's you could argue it's someone like Alf Engers who started to accelerate that in the in the seventies when because he, he got obsessed with airflow, for example. But also before that, he got obsessed with lightness. So he's like a precursor to the hill climb stuff because he drilled everything out. So he did it through that, like through that obsession there. But he also did it through being completely, um, unrelentingly uncompromising, like just being himself entirely. It's like you couldn't take, you can't take Alf Engers and, and make him into someone else like he's the kind of guy that now people say oh he's uncoachable you know like these we hear this story about Rowan Dennis you know um, yes you know where he's like I can't ride that bike and I don't know that's what happened I don't want to do him a disservice skin suit yeah skin suit you know like and um yeah and um you know I and and it's that it's that sort of mold where the, the 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 talent or the aptitude or the hard work has there's a reason for that 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 strength but it's also quite complicated because 
there's some sort of fire inside that burns quite ferociously. And the fire definitely got him in trouble a few times. Yeah, it did. So he initially, so he went, he wanted to ride the Tour de France and stuff like that. That was always his like childhood dream. But when he went professional, it didn't work out because there's a whole thing about having to work and his, you know, desire to. Um, like, and he was a baker, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's a baker, night baker. Um, and um, he used to make cakes, like chocolate, elaborate chocolate stuff and like patisserie and all this stuff. You know, um, like incredibly sort of gentle, precise art, quite at odds with the violence of the effort, you know. Yeah, so um, he wanted to do all that. But then he, he after he, he thought if you went independent, you could go back and become an amateur if it didn't work out. And actually, it didn't quite work like that. And they basically stopped him riding for five years before they reinstated him. So from about the age of 22, I guess, when he stopped riding as an independent, um, he wasn't allowed to ride like year on year until he was about 27, 28. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a massive chunk of time, yeah. you know. And, and in theory, you're prime as well. Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? Especially at short distance stuff, you know, and, and the domestic scene, you know, domestic road racing, yeah. you know, you're not, it's, it, it should be that time really. You know, he set a competition record sort of for 25 miles in 1959 when he was 19 years old. Um, you know, so yeah, he sort of did 55 minutes or something on some massive steel bike and then you know sort of two years sort of went independent right and you know but then didn't do anything really until 1968 or something you know it's a huge chunk so he was at odds with the ctt that would have been bc like british cycling because he was a road cyclist so like he went over to belgium you know and stuff like that but it was bc who wouldn't it was linked, you know, CTT were really, really strict about the amateur professional divide. I mean, we don't understand it now. We can't see that. We can't sense that. And I think, you know, it, it, what it, how rigorously those things were enforced in those days. Like if you, if you, I touch on it in the book when I talk about, I talk think briefly about rugby league and there were like people in, players in Wales who were playing rugby union and then went to the north to play rugby league. And not only could they never play rugby union again, but there was a sense that they couldn't even go back to their hometowns <laughs> because they'd been, they were so ostracised because of this, this step that they'd taken. And, and, and that, that divide, I think, it, you know, is, we can't understand it now. When we're talking about National Hill Climb this weekend and we know there's sort of professional riders in there. We're like, we, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah and, but we welcome that. We're like, mm. isn't that great? Isn't that fantastic? You know, but, but 40 years ago, you know, it would have been a, a profound... Like schism and an issue, and and uh, they would have somehow been betraying everything that's right about the amateur spirit, you know. And and I think, you know, that's what did for Alf, and I think, it, and it did for him for a very, very long time. Um, and I think, you know, if you don't know who he is and you're wondering how fast Alf was, is that his his biggest achievement was the sub fifty minute twenty five. Yeah. So, yeah, so he, he was chasing that, really. So this, he, what he wanted to do is he wanted to become the first person to ride 25 miles at 30 miles an hour, average speed, effectively on a road bike. Yes. You know, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about this, you know, the shiny, like, bongo stuff we have now where it's like, you know... Some crazy era yeah, weapon. Yeah, yeah, that's made, like, that's been somehow grown out of corn or something. <laughs> and, like, uh, and the weave, it's like, you know, that's all... And Yeah, I don't know, like, and where you can't even see the rider front on because they're, they're whatever the term is for it. That'd be a like, good bike radar April Fool's gag, won't it? It's what, a bike grown from corn? Specialised make new shiv out of corn. Yeah, yeah I yeah. could see like it. in a vat, you just yeah. weave it and it's like, it's got hitherto <laughs> unforeseen properties, you yeah. know. And um, 
Yeah, so he was on a road bike, a steel road bike made by his friend Barry Chick. Um, and uh, he just, you know, wanted a, effectively a very tight clearance track bike. They smoothed everything off as much as they could. You know, at one point they had the brake levers behind the top mm-hmm. of, the, you know, on the tops. They had them just behind. CTT said you can't do that, you know. Basically everything he tried. At one point he stitched, he did, he sort of had, did a primordial skin suit where he sewed the jersey and the shorts together. Incredible. And then they got wind of that and a week later they said, uh, you know, they got this letter in the post, jerseys and shorts must be made of distinctly two separate garments, not joined at any point, you know. Mm-hmm. So he's sort of continually trying to push those boundaries. And that um, was very revolutionary at the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just people like, the sort of thing where people are like, what's he doing? Mm-hmm. That's voodoo, you know, that's like mad stuff. You know, like you get, and then later they're like, oh, we had a point. You know, and I think that's like Graham Obrey, isn't it? Yeah. It's the same, um, you know, why is he, why is he, you know, it's a bike out of washing machines, you know, which it never was. But, you know, that's the whole myth, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so he's chasing this record. And then um, he basically was trying to chase it, I think, before he was banned again. Mm-hmm. Because he, he, he was on for this record, but, and then he got banned because apparently he was riding out in the carriageway, like he was sort of too far out in the road. When he was riding, so they pulled him off the road for that. He's, you know, and he, the whole this all in in the book. Um, he said he was avoiding debris. They're like, no, you were cheating, basically. And you know, and I when I was speaking to him about that, that was it's really interesting. He brought up a lot of memories for him, and he said, you could tell how angry he still was forty years later mm-hmm. about what he felt was this real in, injustice. You know, he got banned again. He got banned for wearing a tracksuit in the rain, basically. Um, so they did the Lord Mayor's float at London, and he did it. Um, him and uh, John Cornelli, who was a really promising young rider, they both um, sat on a float and they were on equivalent of a, a turbo trainer, like static bikes, um, pretending to sword fight with like fencing stuff. And and it was basically, <laughs> so it was, um, I can't remember who it was now, um, Clive, uh, well, one of the bike, a bike shop basically sponsored them to do this uh, as a, as a uh, ad, not sponsored them, but had it as a float for London Polytechnic and it was, you know, advertising the bike. Um, shop and, and stuff and then someone took a photo and the photo was used in an advert saying oh there's no need to fight about, over bikes boys there's enough to go around ctt saw it said oh you're a professional because <laughs> you're wearing a jersey um which he was wearing because it was raining and it was freezing cold and it was january the like sixth or something so they banned him for like two years um it's just so madness, yeah man. like it was just, you, you when you that happens and that whole episode you're like okay you know, I met Alf, spent a lot of time with Alf, and, and he's a fantastic guy, but he's quite truculent sometimes, and, and he's quite intimidating. And, and um, you know, I, I, I sort of, I interviewed him for the at this sort of big CTT dinner, and it, you know, it wasn't the smoothest thing I've ever done in my life, you know. But he, but when you see that, like, those that ban, you're like, that's, that's a vendetta. That's just yeah, vindictiveness. Gal- that's not... You know, that's, a, you know. He galvanised the best of yeah. us, I think, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But he did get the record. Yeah, he did. So he had that last go and then he, um, it was just this perfect day, really. And he, he was riding the um, against all the top riders there because it's a fast course, you know. And and I think the guy went out before broke the existing record, which was 50-51 or something. And I think he came inside it by about eight seconds. Um, so that you know, the, everyone's like, "Oh, the record's been lowered. It's fifty, you know, forty or something." This guy Eddie Atkins had done. And well, let's see what Alf does. And then Alf comes in. He's like forty nine twenty four. So like, <laughs> you know, a minute and a half up again, and they're just like. And how old do? was he when he did it? So, so he would have been thirty eight. Yeah, so just thirty eight. 
There's still hope for us yet, Joe. Yeah. But, yeah. For you guys, not for me. I mean, <laughs> I've, I've, I'm not going to chase it this year. I think. You know? <laughs> no, no. You know, I think it's now, what is it now, like 43 minutes or something, isn't it? Yeah, and I guess that goes back to the, the kind of what would Alf do is that a lot of people in the UK time trialling scene now think how fast would you have been on a, you know, a kind of full aero get-up, bike, skin suit, helmet, and a few people have estimated maybe around the 44, 43-minute mark. Yeah, that's, I think that's that's where it went. I mean, the, the most scientific approach was taken by Cycling Weekly, and they did it with... <gasps> oh, they don't exist. We, uh, we don't sorry, the most was taken by um, a cycling magazine. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> they did a piece, this, this, this cycling magazine... It's not a very, you know, it's a difficult magazine, really. But they did this piece, and they, um, their idea was, oh, let's see, let's test it, let's do it in, uh, you know, get as close as we can in conditions. And they got mm-hmm. they got this great guy, Richard Bustle, who's like postman, hill climber as well, I think, and monster, great, great time trial rider as great, well. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah, all round monster actually. Yeah, mm. sort of comes out of nowhere, does huge fast times on quite cheap bikes. So it's almost like the spirit of Alf sits with him a little bit. Mm. Um, uh, he's a very nice guy, though, isn't he? I think he's yeah, like nice not guy. truculent, you know. <laughs> and I'm not saying that Alf is truculent. Um, he's going to ring me up later. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, now, nah, Paul, you'll be like that down the phone, and I'll just be like my stomach will go funny. Which is funny yeah. given that you were formerly a head teacher in high school yeah. and you're scared yeah. of Alf Engers. <laughs> I think he sees that as a challenge, I think, to be honest. You know, a challenge I think it, it brings back, Yeah, I think it brings back <laughs> memories for him of his school days. Like there's a sort yeah. of twitch there. <laughs> yeah, so Rich Bustle basically did this and he did it. Um, they sort of tested it and they did it with CDA, wasn't it, we talked about. Like they, they sort of, okay, how much power is he putting out on this bike? What would that equate to on that bike? And so on and so forth. And they, they came in at like, yeah, like 44 minutes pretty much. Which is mad, yeah. Yeah, like it's an incredible athlete. Yeah, considering the area he rode in, and a great baker. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, well, yeah, I got yeah, I didn't eat his buns because there was a whole issue about me being vegetarian um, when he cooked me some food, and um, and I didn't want to say the first time I didn't want to say I just said I wasn't hungry, and then like. Yeah, it got, and I started emailed him later. Sorry, I didn't eat the buns, so I was, but I'm actually vegetarian, and I think that sort of damaged the relationship a bit, <laughs> to be honest. Like, yeah, because then the next time he gave me, he made some buns again, but he put salmon in them. He's like, "Oh, you're not one of those vegetarians who doesn't eat fish, are you?" And I was like, "Oh, yeah, I am actually." And he's like, oh, "I'll give it to the dogs." Like, it was just, yeah, it's a bit grim. Yeah, it's an excellent book, though, and really, if you're interested, even tangentially in, in time trialling, it's a really good piece about a really interesting character. It's about people, isn't it? Like yeah. About, like, people and, the you know, I think that's kind of where I come from. Like, he's a fantastic character and, you know, we're all sort of fighting for something, aren't we? You know, even if it's just a very minor thing. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's what I kind of go for. And then your new book now, this is your new kind of big project you've been working on for a little while is a kind of a book around the Land's End John O'Groats record. Mm. So do you want to tell us a bit about that, the history of the record, and you've also ridden at least most of the route? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sort of, um, yeah. So I, um, the new book's basically, it's just called The End to End. Does it have a definite article? No, I think it might be End to End. I'm not sure. It's probably not my choice. I would have called it um, something else, but I think 
they then they they say, oh, you can't call it that because people can't find it in a Google search. Oh, that sounds like, like my life. Yeah, I said, yeah, my yeah. Life like, tailoring things to, for yeah, Google. That was it. And I, that never, you know, when you've been with an independent publisher, that doesn't really crop up very mm-hmm. much. So they're like, oh, you have to call it this because then it takes the title as well. Like, and then it takes the category and all of these other. How happy you've made, Jeff. Yeah, see, yeah. so. In my so heart's bubbling. Yeah. SEO yeah. is my, my so, lifeblood. <laughs> so I was, I was going to call it um, Any Fool Can Get to Perth. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, but then someone said, someone who I respect quite a lot actually said, well, you know, some people haven't made it to Perth and they've tried really hard and, you know, it's quite, you know, a bit harsh. And I was like, okay, I better change that. Perth um, is a city uh, about a third of the way through Scotland if yeah. you're doing the Land's End John O'Groot's record. And Which, my, near my hometown. So I think it, it's, it's you basically there's a stretch, isn't there? Where, well, after Perth, it's just this big long road around the Cairngorms mm-hmm. to Inverness. Is yeah, that the right? A nine. A nine. So it's a key point, I think. And then, yeah. But anyway, so end to end, and um, it's a book about the end to end, which is um, it starts with the record. So you're going. It's the it's the fastest time people can go on their bike from Lands End to John O'Groats, um, because it, people are doing it in insane. Um, time frames like mind-boggling time frames that I don't understand so you know like on your fastest day on your fastest bike you know your fastest training ride you might break 19 miles an hour you know like on a hilly ride as well we're not talking you're not going out in the flat here are you you're sort of going out I'm gonna go around the Mendips or something Mm -hmm. or I'm gonna you know and if you break 19 mile an hour you'd think that's good it's a smashy day yeah yeah I've had um, and people on Strava would be oh look at you you're like Mm, you know yeah like you get the kudos would come piling in and make for a 19 (laughs) mile an hour ride be like oh yeah good day tailwind was it oh you know and all this stuff um but like that's that's the speed people are doing from Land's End to John O'Groats. Which is like how many miles? Yeah, how far? 842 miles. So they're doing a 19 mile an hour average. For the know, entire length of the UK? For the entire length of the UK. And and it, yeah, I mean, the record, that's Mike Broadriff's record, isn't it? So he's done it in um, 43 hours, you know, give or take, which is one day, 19 hours, you know, nonstop, um, no sleep. Um, you know, going through the first 24 hours, um, they're doing, you get, you got to Scotland mm-hmm. in 24 hours. Is it so, something like 540 miles for that first? No, it's 507 is the record. Yeah. So, yeah, five. That, yeah, so 507 he did. So he went to... So he start, basically start at 8 in the morning, don't you, in, um, yeah. in Land's End. And then at 8 o'clock the next morning, you're north of Gretna. You know, like, that's... <laughs> like, yeah, and it just... Yeah, so I... That was... That's... I, I got... Fa- I'm fascinated by that. I think that's... You know, there's a, there's a real journey there. So, but there's also... It's also something that that lots of other people have done yes. at a slower pace, but for and for different reasons, but for I think really interesting reasons. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's where I started with it. It's like people do it because it's on their list, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. like oh, I must ride to Land's End to John O'Groats. Got to do that journey. Or they do it because, like you know, like someone died or something, and they're mm-hmm. like, oh, that's you know that I that's changed everything in my life. I'm going to go and do something that I've not done or they do it because they got ill and then they're better and then they're like now I need to do that thing it's like or they do it for sponsorship or they do it because they don't have a reason to do it they just do it because it's you know there whatever that cliche is but I think there's a there's a huge amount of people who've who've done that and and um and and when you see it sort of when you start scratching the surface of this it's like you start coming across you know, this that um, is it like eighty year old lady? I don't want to do a disservice. You know, she did it recently. You know, and like there's a, a family bicycle on Twitter, and, and then they they've done it with you know 
this absurdly young child, you know, <laughs> peddling all the way. You know, sort of in a sort of like a Blake poem, you know, <laughs> sending children down the mines. It's that sort of thing. But but you know, all these people have have done this, and I think that's it's the the challenge for me is how to weave that in to keep the, retain the integrity of that as well. Because I do, I am interested in that, but you know, I am interested in the record. But I'm also interested in the fact that it's a lay experience for people as well. Yeah. So, so it's not like you know, our fingers does forty. You know, you do twenty five miles in in forty nine minutes on a road bike. <clears throat> it's a very narrow experience. Not many of us could do that. You know, um, but almost all of us could do London's John O'Groats, and and most of us want to really. So that's that's sort of where I am. You know, with it. Um, and you've also ridden at least i think you did it segmented didn't you you've ridden the whole thing but in kind of parts yeah the struggle i've had is like i is being busy and working and and um finding the time to to do it and it's like it doesn't sort of it's quite difficult to just say to wife you know oh yeah i just need to go and do this thing it's going to take me probably about 12 days you know 11 12 days and if you do it 12 days you're still doing 70 odd miles a day yeah you know, it's not a tour <laughs> like you know it's a big that's a big distance i think you know and then and then say oh and then i've got to get back again because actually you, you know it's a really long way to get home it's a um, really long way you know so it's quite you're talking sort of two weeks mm-hmm. and i don't really have that sort of time mm-hmm. so what my my idea was well okay what i'm going to do is I'm going to break it down and i'm going to get an experience of it and i'm going to do it in sections and and so on this, this is my sort of compromise um and then i figured it'd be good if i did some really big sections mm-hmm. you know so so i did lands end to bristol in in a day it's a big um, ride that in itself. Yeah, that was yeah, yeah, it was big. How um, far? It's two. It's two hundred and twelve miles, I think. A very Something hilly. Like two hundred and twelve. Yeah, it's eight. It must be eight, nine thousand, maybe more than that. Actually, let's get maybe about nine, ten thousand feet. I think. Does that sound about right? Does that sound light? That sounds reasonable. Yeah. It's a bigger. We'll big, go with that. We'll go with that. Sounds you know, impressive. Like, yeah. 9,000 metres. Yes, 9,000 metres. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> I Everested it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I kept going. Um, yes. Um, yeah, so I did that. And luckily, the only thing I can say is luckily the, there was a, a tailwind. Mm-hmm. Because if there wasn't a tailwind, I wouldn't have done it. And the reason I know that is when I did the section from, I rode from Bradford to John O'Groats mm-hmm. over about five days. And I had this idea that I'd be doing really, you know, I'd be fine to do 120 mile days. And I had a headwind for the f- four of those days. And I just, it was just vile. Like it was horrendous. And and that was instructive in itself. Yeah. Because you can see how um, if you're going after the record, you can't do it without the right conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was instructive insofar as, like, I just remember pretty much crying in a lay-by <laughs> near Lockerbie. Um, just wanting my mum <laughs> to come and pick me up in her camper van. So that was instructive because that sort of thing seems to happen to people taking on this record. You know, yeah. they, you know, they hallucinate, they cry, they like, yeah, and, other, and other you, unsavory things. And you followed Michael, didn't you, when he broke the record? Yeah. So I went in the van with. Um, so when Mike Broadwith um, took on the record, we'd had a bit of back and forth before, and I kept sending him these. Um, these articles that I'd found when I was researching. So like 1950, um, so there's a mag- brilliant magazine in the 50s and 60s called um, Courier, which was Jock Wadley. If you ever stumble across copies of that, just snap them up because it's, it's brilliantly written and it's captivating. And a lot of the photographs are by Bernard Thompson. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you can get lost in those. You know, it's a real sort of vortex of like 
um, the past in there. And so I kept sending him these articles and then, and he, you know, he did, luckily he didn't tell me where to stick it, you know, like he was actually very friendly. And, and, and then he's like, oh, actually there's room in the van. This was on the Monday and like, or was it the Tuesday? He said, oh, there's room in the van if you want to come along, you know. Like, I was like, oh, when? He's like, Thursday. And I was like, oh, okay. Was it Friday? Yeah, Friday. Though this was going to be Thursday, then they pushed it back or something like that. So I said, like, I said, that the wife got home. I was like, oh, yeah, I've just had an invitation to go and do something. She's like, oh, what's that? Like, to basically to drive to Scotland at 19 miles an hour in a, in a, in a van with loads of really unwashed, sweaty men. Um, uh, and she's like, that sounds great. You should go for it, you know. And so I got, yeah, got in the van, got um, picked up at Bristol and then just sort of went through the night um, in this van. And it was, uh, Steve Abrahams was in there as well. Ordax um, legend. Ordax legend, like one-year time trial guy who did, what did he do, 68, 70,000 miles in a oh, year? Oh, yes, I know who you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, um, yeah, and it was... It was um, it was all I can say about it, and and it, that becomes that bit of the journey becomes part of the book as well. And some of the stories I heard in the van, like one about like about those kind of Audaxi endurance rides. Mm -hmm. Steve Abraham's quite a font of knowledge about that. So he like he supported people on those, you know, that race across America they yeah, do crazy yeah. event. Yeah. So he supported um, someone on that, and he was told a story about an abscess that like <laughs> got quite quite gnarly. Yeah, or just like a horror film, really, <laughs> like in the American Midwest, you know, in a garage. And, you know, so that, it was an experience, really. Um, but but more than that, it was an experience because I don't think you ever get to see um, a countryside or, or people or things like that. At 19 miles an hour. At 19 miles an hour, watching someone do this thing, mm. like just plugging away, like riding their bike with all the sort of efficiency of a metronome uh, and just they just keep going and everything mm. in that van is geared up towards um supporting them and you're just and you're just looking out the window and you're seeing people coming out and cheering him on and they're like club people and or just people who have a vested interest or, or no interest but heard it was happening mm. and you know because it's quite a technical feat isn't it to support someone like that on a record takes takes some practice doesn't it yeah, it does, and it and it is beyond my capabilities. But they, it's a military operation. It's like the feeding, and uh, mm -hmm. you know the, the the amount of food and the approach to the food that they have, because you know you can't risk anything. You can't risk stomach no. issues, and all the th and there's a lot of things happen when you're doing that kind of stuff. Like if you're riding for that long, your body starts to it starts to eat itself, doesn't it? It starts to shut down. It starts to you know, and and Mike had those kind of issues. His neck went. Like he couldn't actually lift his neck up. So he had this, he improvised. This was right up past, started going wrong in Scotland because the rain, it rained so solidly. Um, so he improvised some sort of aero position where he rested his chin on his hand and his elbow on the like extension rest. And the other one was like that. So he was like descending off of, um, off of Dromocta. Oh, yes. That was it, yeah, like down to Inverness, which is basically like nine, ten miles of descent. Yeah, long, long descent. Um, I think like when Andy Wilkinson did it, he, he on the tandem they with Lynn Taylor, they did 68 miles an hour, 70 mile an hour down there <laughs> in, at three in the morning. Cool. With like no, with no sleep. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so he was bombing down there just like, like that, you know, like sort of in this weird position. And, you know, it, yeah. So that, as an experience, like to, to, to watch that and to be a part of that, it was, it was you know, it's brilliant. I wouldn't you know do it again at the drop of a hat? I've, I've, 
obviously we'll want everybody to get information on the record from your book, but am I right in saying there was a documentary made about that as well? It was like a little short film. There was a good short film, actually. So I think it's the that's the Damien Peacock one, isn't it? And he, um, he, yeah, so he's, it's about half an hour, maybe 25 minutes. And that, that's, it's not a bad film, actually, at all, you know, and I think, and I'm not doing him a disservice. I'm just saying that, like, quite often sort of homemade documentaries can sometimes mm-hmm. not quite, Live up to it. Yeah, live up to it or whatever. But actually, he's captured, I think. A lot of the mood lot, of it. Yeah, like the mood, the sense of it. And, uh, you know, and I think that's because he's passionate about it. And I think there's a story with him as well. Um, there's another, there is another film, actually. There's one about John Woodburn when he did it in 1980, whenever it was, to be honest. And that's quite an interesting film as well, sort of different era. Um, but, it, yeah, so... Yeah, it's worth looking. The one it's on YouTube, isn't it? It's on the YouTube. The YouTube. And yeah. f- just briefly before we finish, for the record, that 45-hour mark, do you think, I mean, I'm sure there will be, but do you think there's much room for improvement on that? Will the record fall again? Uh, I think it's it's interesting. I think the, that's, a, that's a tough one because I think Gethin Butler set it, set it initially in 2000, didn't he? And, and what Mike's done is improved it by... 40 odd minutes 45 minutes you know and with a lot more tech but also you know he's a you know it's not to do he's an incredible yeah, athlete, he's an incredible yeah. athlete he's got huge power and endurance he does like for 24 hour time trials he was doing 535 miles you know huge stuff like that so he is you know he's probably about the third quickest 24 hour mm. rider in history um so it's that's tight i think you know you 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 know people are going to struggle with that I think there's always a sense, people always have a sense that they could, if the weather was right, mm. they could do it, I think. There was, um, so another chap had a go at it last year, had a couple of goes, and I think there was one point where he he wished he'd gone a couple of days later because the wind had really picked up. Mm. But I think sometimes that's dangerous as well because you don't get the wind for two days. And not only that, you can have a certain amount of wind, but when you're tired, I don't think you really want um, a 40 mile an hour tailwind <laughs> like when you're coming off of like Moffat's or you're going down over over the top of the Shap and you've got that wind coming across the Irish Sea at, uh, you know a, a slight cross tail at 45 mile an hour I don't think that's going to work yeah. I'll be honest so I think people you have to be careful what you wish for and I think when that wind comes it usually brings the rain as well yes. so there are those things I think I think the women's record is possibly due an update. So that's two days, four hours. That's by Lynn Taylor. Wow, that's a crazy record, isn't it? And before that was Pauline Strong, and she was a professional for rally. Mm. So that one, I think, we'll see some action on next year. Mm. I think we'll see probably, I think there's three riders mm. who might have a go at it. Incredible. Yeah, I think, I think that's great. This one we'll watch very closely. And in terms of watching closely, when is the new book due? Who's publishing it? And when will we see it on shelves? Okay, so that's, um, I'm, uh, it's, it's, a deadline is April. Mm-hmm. So I'm about two thirds of the way through now. Um, that's what I tell myself anyway, mm-hmm. uh, probably. Yeah. So it's going to be um, out towards the end of next year. Um, so that's published by Little Brown, um, which is, they're part of that big Hachette empire. So um, they, I think they did the recent uh, Lady Velo book. Oh, yes. It's Little yeah, Brown, yeah. Mm-hmm. which is a lovely book. If you get a chance to read that, it's like, you know, that's a book about, um, yeah, it's a memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really, really super book. Um, but they also, I mean, they do like, it's really weird. Sometimes I'll buy a book in the bookshop and it's, 
you know, like, and I turn over and it's the same publisher. Mm -hmm. I find that a bit of a weird experience. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, yeah, it's coming out then. Well, we look forward to seeing it. And yeah, we'll be sure to give you details on Bike Radar as soon as that is launched. And uh, I'm sure as well as an English teacher, you'll be submitting a perfect, <laughs> perfect uh, manuscript first time round. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're like, that's done. Yeah, there that's you go. complete. You know, like, that's complete. I know that you, you yeah. That's what, that's what proofreaders are for, isn't it? Yeah. And, and editing, that's what editing is for. You're teaching a new it's generation like, of yeah. proofreaders. Yeah. Give it to you to subject. No, yeah, you can. It's only 80,000 words. <laughs> Actually, at the moment, the issue is bringing it, it's going to be bringing it in. Yeah. That, this is, I haven't had this problem before. Mm -hmm. Like, I think, you know, it is just going to be, there's so much there's so much interest. There, in yeah, it. so much. And so many different narratives. Mm -hmm. It's like, how do I... I mean, I'm writing this chapter about Pauline Strong and I sort of finished that and I'm like, it's about eight to 10,000 words. I'm like, well, it needs to be about three to four, mm -hmm. you know? So I, that's that's sort of where I am. But And you're like, how do I... I don't want to lose that, that story there about, you know, you know, her hallucinating a field of rabbits oh. across the middle of the road, you know, or, or that sort of... Mm -hmm. It feels like everything is is, is important, so... Great. Well, I really look forward to seeing Thank it. Thank you. Thank you very much, Paul, for Thank coming much. in. And yeah, as always, if you want to hear more like this, subscribe on your podcast, sub subscribe on your podcast uh, provider of choice. And of course, if you're watching this on YouTube, don't forget to like and subscribe and click the bell icon. So whenever we do this sort of thing, you'll get a notification. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bye.